Hello, adventurers. I want to take a moment to tell you that all our content can now be found uninterrupted and commercial-free on Apollo Plus. Apollo Plus is a subscription-based service that enhances your audio fiction experience with ad-free access to your favorite shows and exclusive content, while at the same time supporting us all as creators to keep bringing you quality content. Please take a moment to check out Apollo Plus at apollopods.com or download the app in your Google or Apple app stores. Again, that's Apollo Plus, your new home for quality audio fiction. Dawn of Dragons, Season 3, Episode 3, The Celestine Tower. Fifteen twenty-three. First snowfall. Squire Ayla Forsyth, pikeman of the 4th Infantry. This journal I hope to pass on to my father so he may see the deeds of his daughter and feel he sired something other than another plowman whose hands were raw from the lines of the ox under a yoke. This is far from that life, and rarely does something here remind me of it. But I do miss it. Oh, I miss our rolling fields of corn and the groves of tomatoes. <laughs> the night is my witness. I even miss mucking out the stalls in the morning before the sun gets too warm. I miss the sun. These days have been overcast in a milky white and gray haze, both from the clouds far above and the large bonfires ablaze to rally around behind these cold, high walls. They keep us warm and keep light at night, a light that gives us a false sense of security, like the candle in my baby brother's room. Something to chase back nightmares and shadows so they may rest. But the tower behind me does far more to scare away any shadow I could imagine. For anyone who has never seen it, it is truly a sight to behold. When I first came within a, a day's journey from it, I could see it in the distance, silhouetted against the setting sun, almost menacing. After that evening's camp in the soft grasses by the side of the central road, I rose and began the morning ritual of preparing the coffee. The breeze was gentle as I prepared the coals from the evening with the small kettle. I was startled by the chirping cry of some small birds fluttering a bit close to our camp. Oh, I looked up and saw that tower in the dawn's golden light behind me. My breath was lost in the morning dew cast about on the tall grasses. The distant ivory color I imagined was glowing in amber and gold, as if warmly in greeting or welcoming us. As we traveled closer, the details became more clear. The central tower ascends 1,200 feet into the sky, easily providing the assisted eye with the ability to see the whole valley, I imagined, from its flat top. The mere thought of standing upon that high, simple, 20-foot-wide platform, the feeling of soft wind at my back, made my head reel. Six relatively smaller towers stood alongside it, about half that height, surrounded by a 60-foot-high wall encircling them for almost a half-mile in any direction, made of creamy limestone with parapets, walkways and accents of a deep blue travertine. As we ascended our cart up the hill to the large central gate, I noticed the ground it rests on is majestic as well, 
Standing in the center of the Platte Glen Valley is 20 miles square of hills with the Staghorn River that runs from them north to Tova. Then into the south of Darkovnia, where it enters the sea, north of Bemel Bay. The hills are covered in the soft velvet of thick grass, common to the whole glen, covering them like a carpet. Though this time of year they were laid flat and browned from the time of the first frost a few weeks ago. When I first arrived here six months ago, the soft emerald grass and sweet tart smelling violet and white meadow flowers were calming and delicate, despite the sense of overwhelming power they lived by. Now they were laid below a shallow layer of snow. A snow that in our camp churned up the cart ruts to a cold mud that clung to our clothes and smelled of dust and rot. Oh. Hey, Ayla. Um, what? What? Put your book down and help me with this platform, will you? Oh, yes. Yes, of course, Sylvie. That's it, just a little more to me. Yes. <laughs> Is that the last of it? Yes. This will be the base of the war machine. They build it tomorrow. Not us this time. You get to run it. <laughs> you will do great. It's not the same as being on the front like we trained for. But you just show them what we can do. I nodded at her as she turned to walk away. Sylvie was my company's captain and a great leader. The whole company respected her as if she were our mother. But she was more the older sister. Gustav, how are you? <laughs> Too heavy? <laughs> I saw her greeting another brother in the company who was drinking from a water skin, resting after setting up his barricade as well. Her powerful jaw was pulled back in her genuine smile we had come to expect and look forward to. I looked back at my barricade. The five-foot wooden stakes were sharpened to points and arranged in a menacing spiral down the eight-foot length of it. Halo, looks good. Gustav. <laughs> I think these positions are about as good as they're going to get. Do you think this will stop them? Hmm... In theory, it should at least slow them down from reaching the gate, I suppose. I looked back at the main gate behind me. The massive twin doors were 40 feet high and 40 feet wide, each. Made of oak bound with heavy iron beams, they swung outward, though <laughs> that was rare. Especially pet doors. <laughs> we all nicknamed the 12-foot square portcullis on the right door the pet door. This was the main gate we actually used to enter and exit the tower courtyard normally. The main gate, to my knowledge, was rarely used. In fact, once I thought more on it, I had never seen it open. Hmm, now that's pretty good to me. Let's hurry up. Do you honestly think we'll be welcomed as some... Great help. Hmm. Seems to me they have everything under control. Anyone can need help, Vix. Many times those that appear to not need it are those that actually need it the most. 
Well said, Sophie. Wow. This place is beautiful. Cordelia ran her hand along the smooth limestone in the hallway as she walked, pulling her hand away briefly to not disturb the threadbare old banner. The crown and swords were embroidered with a thin gold thread against the deep blue heart of the emblem, a blue that, though had faded slightly in places, was obviously cared for by the resident knights and revered. The flow of magic here is strong. Raw. Almost primal, isn't it? Is that the... Dragon magic? (laughs) Absolutely. Ancient and powerful. But untamed. Vix took a moment to let it course through him. In almost a hundred years, he hadn't felt this intensity of the ancient flow of magic hidden within the walls. He was well accustomed to the chaos of wild magic. In fact, it's what gave him his nickname, Vix the Chaotic. It's perfect in its power. To be sure, it it echoes with the power of creation itself. Cordelia. Cordelia raised a single thin black eyebrow. Indeed. We entered the central dining hall for the west section of the tower, located on the second floor. The first floor was divided into quadrants, consisting of four armories and supply storage. The vast dining hall was originally built to cater to 4,000 individuals in three rolling shifts. Upon entry, we could see this was a poor expectation to have. Um, is this all that remains of the knights posted here? Oh. Scottmere, would your people answer the call if we were to reach them? We had a month to reach the Dungeon Mountain. Now they're to come back. Maybe. I saw the look on Scottmere's face. This troubled him, but I knew it wasn't the journey. He held his ghosts of war in the past as well. I... I could try, but I doubt I'd be able... Unfortunately. We don't have time. Scottmere looked at me with a thankful smile on his face. Thankful for my interruption, I hoped. His ghosts would have to continue to wait to find peace, I supposed. Hail, Keldor! (laughs) Hail, Lord Alvar! Lord Alvar formerly was our instructor within these very walls almost three decades ago. Many memories of that time flooded over me. I could see the six of us sitting in this very dining hall by the door. I bet if I looked hard enough at that table's grain, it would tell our stories better than any book or my retelling. And possibly the wooden swords in the squire's training area as well. I couldn't help but smile at belonging somewhere again. Hail, Lord Alvar. Hello, Vive. You look the same as when I last saw you. <laughs> oh, pity. I seem to have misplaced my supposed elven heritage many years ago. Well, you still look strong as ever. <laughs> you speak such wonderful lies, my dear. Hello, Vive, if you would. Please bring your friends and follow me. 
We need to talk. We walked through the seating area past the familiar long wooden tables. The reddish tones of the wood oiled and polished, though they shared their own darkened battle scars as well from years of use. They faithfully served those stationed here as a place to rest for a moment, converse and take in a meal together. The smells from the hall resonated citrus, steamed rice and smoked trout. Arriving at the far end of the room, we came to the second entrance to the great war room of the Celestine Tower. Now I realize you're probably wanting a bit of refreshment following your journey. Let me ask one of our folks coming in to assist. You there, Private! Hail, Lord Alvar. How may I assist you? Can you request a spread for ten from the galley? Hmm. You saw Scottmere's face. Better make it eleven. Absolutely. Consider it done. Thank you. Uh, uh... Ayla, sir. Ayla Foresight. Of course. Forgive my memory. Thank you, Isla. Well, <laughs> you're still sharp as ever. <laughs> Usually I get that treatment from Erebus. How is he? The mention of our old friend stung more than I had thought it would. Especially the genuine smile on Alvar's face. He didn't know. He's gone, Alvar. As our Lorahana, Lona, and... Ah... Uh. Yes, I heard about Lucilius. I assumed and hoped, though. They are their children. By the Night Lord's hand. I can spot the look of Lorahana with you, child. Am I correct? She was my mother, sir. And you seem to carry a similar sacred fire about you as well. <laughs> Lord Alvar was the keenest at spotting people's strengths. His gray eyes were never the best at seeing the physical world. Now I could see the pupils hazy with the fog of age. His proud beard looked coarser and more wiry. The former blonde casting a slight gold at the corners of his mouth. And his head was now greatly thinning on top. The long hair pulled back from the temples and the sides in proud warrior's braids still, though. He was once tall, now the weight of the world had pressed our old mentor down slightly. Though I could still tell, none of this had dampened his valor and spirit. He met the rest of the group in turn, and only at the end did he take pause. Or, well, obviously carry the blood of Lucilius, your eyes. Those eyes are none other than Alona the Fair, to be sure. My lord, I wish to serve you and this order as my parents before me. Hmm. Your take on this potential squire, Keldor. Or, of course, you, Elodie. He's a valiant warrior. Young, but righteous. I echo Elodie's assessment. Benedict's service, I believe, can benefit the Order, and his goals are noble. I... I wish to assist him in reclaiming his home and his name, the rightful place at Garda Keep. Yes, so it shall be. 
Lamprey. I see you received our message. Thank you for bringing everyone here. As you can see, our situation is grave and all of you are needed. I fear. Alvar looked worn down. More so than the years could state. Suddenly the familiar smell of salty chicken, steamed with local spices and root vegetables, entered the room before the soldiers accompanying them did. Returned to find three young knights and their captain bringing in four large serving bowls of the steaming stewed chicken with four large loaves of fresh bread. Ah, here it is. Familiar to some of you, I'm sure. Memory flooded over. I remembered Erebus laughing at the table with Lucilius over some jokes. Ilona easily laughing alongside him. Laura was a bit quieter, like myself, but we still needed and enjoyed their company. This was the day Elaviv first joined our unit as Scout Archer. I looked at her now, and she smiled knowingly. Hasn't changed. <laughs> and just as welcome, sir. <laughs> welcome back, friends. The powerful young man bowed, as did the other three of his group. Early twenties, I gather. Even the captain wasn't much older than Benedict. Thank you for your hospitality. I recognized the embroidered ball, crowned in flames that graced their tunic's left breast. I turned to the captain. Trebuchet, correct? Yes, sir. Newly formed. What unit were you with before? We were part of the 8th Infantry. Elaviv nodded in acknowledgement and looked at me. Well, my brothers and sisters, may the knight and maiden guide your hand on the battlefield. Thank you, sir. They turned and left the room. Only when I heard the door shut completely, I turned to Alvar, this time with more urgency to help my old friend expedite to the point. Trebuchet, Alvar? Then tell me, when do you expect their siege? Tuskborn with a message for Mistress Dabria. The camp was ankle deep in thick mud churned up from the invaders' activity. Heavy carts laden with crude swords, lances, and shields passed between the various tents and campfires. The air was cold, and the breath froze for a moment in slow fog when leaving their mouths. The scents were faint the dirt and wet ground with occasional foul and rancid overtones. The units all had set up their own base of operations. The infantry were primarily orc and human units. Also several blue dragons at the far end of the camp leading an undead legion. It was here that Rogmesh found themselves standing. A deep silence became apparent. Rogmesh, for once, could feel a chill race up their back as reality set in. The soldiers here didn't move. They had no need to. They were already dead, including the guard 
wrestler before him. Rassler pulled the curtain back, revealing a room with two figures standing around a table discussing quietly. One was cloaked in the shadows of a dark hooded robe, a vibrant spear in one hand. The faint jawline was all that was visible. They were talking to a young woman who was leaning over the map on a coarse wooden table. A finger place marking the discussion from an anticipated interruption. Her canary blonde hair was cut short to the scalp, framing her taut skin around the high cheekbones. Thin lips were emotionless as her gold eyes looked up at her new guest. Yes. What brings you here, swordsman? Um, a letter. A letter from our spies on the front lines. Mistress Dabria. Excellent. Put it here. She motioned with her other dark-gloved hand to the table. As he placed the envelope on the table with the black wax seal facing up, he paused. Rogmesh noticed her dark black armor was fitted with a skull at the center. This was just below a single goat's horn that swung from a length of cord around her neck. The armor hugged closely to her torso, with short blue-black pauldrons at the shoulders, accented with small wisps of smoke that seeped from it, disappearing in the air only an inch or two above. She bored her eyes into him without saying a word. Are you still here? Or is there something else, my little carrier pigeon? No, Mistress Una! I meant no disrespect! I- But yet, you give it. Leave us. Now! Oh! Yes! Forgive me! Move! Well, what- do they have to say in these letters, my dark sister? Let us find out, shall we? Dabria ran a sharp fingernail along the wax seal shaped with a stylized D, a common symbol used by some merchants to mark their documents when they were too cheap to have their own seal made or wanting something to be secret. Excellent. The corner of her lips pulled back cruelly. Well... It seems his heir is now in the tower itself. Excellent news, my dark sister. Our assault in the morning should prove most interesting. is played by Becky Atchley. Dabria is played by Judy Rose. Ayla Forsyth is played by Elizabeth Riggs. Benedict Shieldhart, played by Brian Dowling. Cordelia Shieldhart is played by Jolene Frescas. Gustav is played by David Tilstrom. Elaviv Hawklight is played by Jessica Ashley. Lamprey the Bartender is played by Matthew Bianchi. Lord Alvar is played by Mike Kuker. Rod Mesh is played by 
Michael Askey. Sylvie is played by Melinda Barkhouse Ross. Gatmir Flintgrog is played by Colson Jansen. Sophie is played by Sarah Jenkins. Mix the Chaotic, played by Daniel Nichols. From the Happy Go Lucky podcast, Zorin, played by Cody Miller. Nikki Richardson, voicing Rassler. And I'm Mike Ashley, your narrator and the voice of Keldor. Thanks to our patrons, Haley Munoz, Daniel Nichols, Jolene Fresquez, Brian Dowling, Colin Holmes, Tony Fulmar, and Corey Fouch. You too can support the show by joining our Patreon. We've actually opened up more slots to where you can play in the game itself. Currently we're running a campaign that runs shortly before the events of Season 1. Will they actually run into characters that they know from the show? Or how will they affect future events yet to happen? Stay tuned as we prepare to defend against the assault on the Celestine Tower. Until then, stay safe and remember the oath. From the creators of Continuum Force comes a spine-tingling horror audio fiction, Vampires of Whitechapel. Come into the world of Ariana Grayson, an FBI agent who tracked down the serial killer, Alistair the Annihilator, only to discover he is a real vampire, sired by the infamous Jack the Ripper, and he has been hunting her. Vampires of Whitechapel, available on Apple Podcasts, Google, and wherever else you listen to your favorite audio fiction podcasts.